This is a weird vibe on a Sunday morning. I'm so used to doing this at night. I'm it's, like buzzing on cold brew right well, now. Well, it's the Lord's Day, so it makes sense that we're talking about the Conjuring movies. <laughs> and the good Christians, the Warren. <laughs> Notable. listening to watching movies at the bar a podcast about bar movies and movie bars i'm bethy squires and with me as always is thomas grabinski hi how's it going bud it's going great man i'm so happy to be recording on a sunday morning we are podcasting on the Lord's Day because it is The Conjuring Part 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. This movie has just come out, and we have another uh, horror movie podcaster with us, Hallie Kiefer, from The Ruined Podcast. Hallie, thank you so much for coming. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So your podcast is like, you have a friend, Allison Leiby, who uh, is horror shy it's fair to say yes she's a feared of most things uh and refuses to watch horror movies and i compulsively both watch them and feel the need to tell her every detail of the plot so it's really worked <laughs> out perfectly and then we thought much like everyone thinks this should be a podcast and well <laughs> ruin was born so yeah i feel like it's good for people who don't want to watch horror but do want to know what happens and then people who obsessively watch horror and you're like I'd like to listen to the plot of Hereditary to go to sleep. Well, guess what? We got the podcast for you. <laughs> That's incredible. That that makes me think of in elementary school, I was not allowed to watch anything like horror or horror adjacent. Um, my parents are very Christian, much like the Warrens. But <laughs> oh, perfect. Um, there's like a rich oral tradition for children of like describing the horror movies you've seen and the most mm -hmm. frightening mm -hmm. scenes. And there is a 90s remake of The Haunting that I have never seen. But the way that someone in my elementary school class described it to me is as frightening as anything I can imagine. And so my, my idea of that movie is probably more enduring and exciting than anything in the movie I'm itself. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to say right now that that version of The Haunting from the 90s, you should never watch it. It should stay pure as an idea of a movie in your head. Now, the 90s version of The House on Haunted Hill, that is a remake worth watching that we might do later. Um, it's so strange that you bring up that movie because I believe it's on Hulu or it's on streaming or something and I was over at a friend's house and they were playing um the haunting and it was like that time in the 90s where they're like it doesn't matter if we have a plot we have all these amazing graphics but of course seeing it now it's like these graphics are bad <laughs> like they it's like owen wilson being dragged by around by like a cgi ghost it's like a they CGI just didn't understand lion. it was yeah it was a fake ghost lion it's incredible yeah don't see it it well the way it was described to me gave me nightmares and i'm gonna cling to that <laughs> Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, my, uh, boyfriend has a toddler who is sort of, um, he's just like finding out about like fairy tales. And so we listen to them in the car all the time. And it's fascinating because they are so grim. We <laughs> listen to one where it's like the big bad wolf and the goats, which I have remember from childhood, but it like, it ends with the big bad wolf having his stomach slit open so that the, the goats can be rescued. And then the mother goat fills his belly with stones and sews it back up. 
And I, he lo- I was like, oh, my God. But, of course, like, that's, like, the beginning of everyone's horror, you know, sort of experience is a fairy tale. And I'm like, man, this is gruesome. Should a three-year-old be listening to this? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, horror, sorry, fairy tales did used to be much darker because people's lives used to be much darker. Uh, like, slitting open a stomach and filling it with rocks was a more common occurrence. In, oh, like, absolutely. That's what it seems like. Yeah. It was like. That's like a way you cook some things, is you put hot stones in the stomach. And I think, you know, kids grew up on farms seeing much more slaughter. Than yeah, uh, up through the mid-aughts, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that went away pretty much in, like, 2012, when, like, the birth of streaming, and then we just didn't have yeah, Lady Gaga animals. Yeah, Lady yeah. Gaga. Born This Way, PETA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, there's something very, yeah, it's like a, the primal, like primeval horror. And all, the lesson of all the uh, stories are, one, don't be lazy, but then also, two, listen to your mother. Like, the moral of that is, well, you let the wolf in, and you, your mom told you not to. So I guess that was, like, a lot of it. It's like, listen to your mother. <laughs> Medieval <Yeah>. children. <laughs> um, But speaking of morality plays... We're talking Conjuring 3. Sorry, the Conjuring, the devil made me do it. Sorry, Conjuring colon, the devil made me do it. No three in the title. I just always think of it as the Conjuring 3. Even though Annabelle Comes Home is also kind of the Conjuring 3 because it has much more Warren content than an Annabelle usually does. Mm-hmm. Um, what was everybody's Conjuring verse experience previous to this film, previous to agreeing to be on this podcast? Um, I've seen the first two. I- I'll say I en- I enjoyed the first one, and then the second one. I don't know what it is. I it just it did nothing for me. So <laughs> I-, I am familiar with it. I've seen Annabelle Origins, which I would like to point out does not actually explain the origins of Annabelle <laughs> at all. She's already up and about by the time we arrive in, in the film. So I don't know. I find the Warrens themselves a little like, oh, brother, like, you know, sort of making them our protagonists, which we could talk about in the film. I also was like, of all the people to focus on in the film, these are the least, the two least interesting people. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't want to be like, oh, they're bad movies. I, I saw them and they're all movies. I will say that. You know, I'm actually really excited to hear that you are cooler on them than I am. I was worried I was walking into this with two avowed conjure heads and that uh, mm. if I said anything rude, I was going to get in trouble. I think I'm probably in the middle. I saw the first mm-hmm. one when it came out. I really liked it. I liked James Wan. There were enough things about it that I thought were really artful scares. I liked the period. I liked the commitment to making it feel like a real movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I then saw the second one, which I, I enjoyed, but to me it felt like almost a Xerox of the first one, yeah. but sort of mm-hmm. transmuted to not London, but outside of It was London. London. Well, it's like oh. a suburb of London. Oh, okay, cool. So one of the outer zones of London. Mm-hmm. But um, So I liked both of those fine. I couldn't get through the first Annabelle. I liked Annabelle Creation fine, but uh, I saw The Nun, and I really, really didn't like it, and it derailed me from <laughs> all of this conjuring business. But I actually liked this new one a fair deal and i'm surprised by the tepid critical reception and i i guess am a conjuring head i did dress up as sexy nun from the nun i think two (laughs) halloweens in a row great just full volek makeup and then like a slutty dress and like i made a habit out of two t-shirts like a white t-shirt and then a black t-shirt over the white t-shirt it's the best costume i've ever seen beth (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll put it on the um podcast Instagram. Yeah, I was gonna say, I want to see it. I I will say I don't know if the Conjuring movies, if I think any of them are good. The first one is obviously mm-hmm. good, and the second one, the second one is too long, and the uh the <laughs> the real life haunting that it's based on uh was proven to be false proven to not have happened (laughs) so the fact that they're doing this based on a true story thing where it's like the scariest you know you're gonna shit your pants by how real this haunting is and anybody who does even a cursory google is like no it it was proven that the girl was faking it like we know this for certain i I do feel like that is my issue this is i feel like trying to make like to emphasize this based on a true story i think makes it less scary (laughs) because like the whole time i'm like if this is true then like that poor man got murdered because a demon went in that guy's body. That's not fun. That's an incredible, it's incredibly depressing. Obviously, I don't believe that happened. Uh, I believe that that man was just murdered. And then he was depicted in a film as maybe some sort of, like, he was just like, to have the victim of a murder be sort of a dirtbag in a movie that's not in any way about his murder yeah. was, uh, it was a lot to watch. I felt like I will say they changed his name to protect his identity. That guy. Well, I'm sure it worked. And they also sanitized the circumstances of the murder. Like, oh, okay. What really happened uh, seems worse. Like, there's a reason that that guy eventually, in the real Devil May Do It case, we're going to discuss that, by the way. Spoilers for, probably spoilers for the whole movie, uh, and definitely spoilers for the real life case mm-hmm. of what happened. This is for the audience's sake. I'm just going, wee-oo-wee-oo, so everybody knows it's what's up. Spoilers. Wee-oo. Spoilers. Okay. And the people who need to stop and watch the movie have stopped and watched the movie. And the people who uh, are like Allison and just want to hear about a movie, or people like me who go to the bathroom and read the Wikipedia summary when they're in a movie theater. Oh, yeah. I will do that all the time. I I did that for uh, Annabelle Comes Home, and I did that for Parasite. I don't know. There's stuff going on. <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna get you in trouble. This podcast is gonna be blacklisted for that. Oops. Oh well. I mean, I think the podcast will already be blacklisted because of that time I said in the preview episode of our podcast that <laughs> I think movies are the wrong length for any story to be told. <laughs> it's true. It's a controversial take. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but the the real situation of like what happened when that guy was stabbed uh he was stabbed because the the two men the the one who who pled the devil made him do it and then the guy who got done by the devil uh had been drinking for a long time and then arguing on their front lawn and the the actual murder happened uh Partially because the landlord guy would not let go of uh, Debbie's, like, nine-year-old niece. Oh, gosh. He was, like, grab. I don't know. That's all I could find. It's just, like, he was refusing to let go of her. And I don't know why or how he was holding her. But that's when the stabbing happened. And that's why he was convicted of manslaughter and not, like, first or even second degree murder. It was, like, there was some stuff going on. We in the movie, the they're just listening to rock and roll music and yeah, drinking. It's <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I thought all of the uh, those scenes were very artfully shot. Like, I think this was a, a well shot and like 
a lot of the scares are really creepy, like the scare in, when they're in the dog kennel. I thought it was terrifying. But it, I did wonder about the actual specifics. So I think, I don't know. It's like, is that a is that a crime that, to me, compellingly, you could convince me the devil made you do it? I don't know. Yeah, it was the third time that such a defense had been used in a modern court. The judge wouldn't even hear it. There was yeah, never, okay. He, he was like, <laughs> no, I'm not even entertaining that. And then they just discussed the circumstances surrounding the, the assault and nothing to do with exorcisms was admitted into actual court documents. Had the, had, was the exorcism real? Had that mm-hmm. happened? Okay. There had been a series of exorcisms on the little boy from the haunting of Hill House. Oh, uh, that's who it was. Yeah. He was great. All that, the opening sequence with him on the table, terrifying. Let's take it back a little bit and just talk about the conjuring series as a whole they're based on sort of the life rights of ed and lorraine warren uh demonologists and uh who are portrayed in the movies as the most wholesome couple (laughs) to have ever lived and the only two people in the world who actually love each other yeah and and you did had told me something about their relationship so that that w- was playing in my head while I was watching the film. And I don't know if we wanted to get into that uh, uh, now. But, um, man, yeah, also, it's like, I don't care about their relationship. I care about the demons. What the hell? I'm like, I'm gl- hey, good for you guys. I'm glad this is all working out for you. <laughs> but I'm like, there are demons afoot. Like, I, this is, to me, again, the least interesting part of what's going on in this movie. I yeah I I I think I'm a I'm a counterpoint there. I think the degree to which these two hucksters are portrayed as just this sort of beautiful idealized couple is like <laughs> very goofy to me and also it's all in casting. I think almost anyone else playing these roles uh it would be a disaster, but I mm-hmm. love Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson and their commitment um to the project. I think they sell some of the goofiest shit uh in earnest and i really like that yeah the way that ed warren like patrick wilson's ed warren is just like this earnest dad of a man who's like making dad jokes to other demonologists and like forgetting to bring his pills and wearing sweater vests and all this shit is the pills incredible i was like you dumb motherfucker yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) i was like oh you goofy bastard but you're i do agree like they are both great actors and and they are selling what on the paper i'm sure they're like okay i don't know why this would happen but (laughs) i will do it i think it is true that these movies are honestly they're more of like a procedural they're like the law Mm -hmm. and order spooky division more than they're a (laughs) horror movie Mm -hmm. because it the focus is kind of on how much these two love each other and love christ and (laughs) there are there are truly never really stakes in any of these movies 100 percent. you don't get the sense that the warrens are ever going to lose and even like the thing also is if they're if they're right and catholicism is like the one true religion or whatever then even if they lose, they're going to go to heaven having lost. Like, worst right. case scenario, they're in heaven earlier than previously estimated. Like, big whoop. I, I also think that there that this film was shockingly so little about the court case. I thought we were like, okay, we're going to see them go in there and be like, the devil's real, you know, like, and it's like, no, it's, you, you I, when we finally cut back at the end and you find out what happens, I was like, oh, okay, so this didn't pan out. This did not work. 
And, and obviously you don't see them present because they never did. So it's a funny case to try to, of, I'm sure I have, have, they have many more, to try to frame a movie around where they're like, that's the setup and then we never talk about that part until the very end. Totally. I, for me, I think it's almost because the three true life cases they base these movies on are ultimately pretty threadbare. It's like yeah. a couple of like purported phenomena and kind of an anticlimax. And so they're just like, okay, the hook of these movies is they're based on a true story, but there's not that much meat. It's yeah, really just fair. the trailer moment where he's like, you know, every time you enter a courtroom, you swear and accept the existence mm-hmm. of God. It's about time you accept the existence of the devil. That's like a fun Oh, book. absolutely. When you say that, I'm like, <laughs> hell yeah. It's so good. And, you know, if you want to see a movie that acts like it's going to be a bunch of horror and like the trailers made it seem like it was going to be a bunch of spooky devil shit, but then it turned out to just be a courtroom movie, <laughs> that's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That movie is mostly uh, a courtroom drama when you think it's going to be about the exorcism of Emily Rose, but sh- it is not. And I, I remember seeing that one, and basically the conclusion of that is, well, if God exists, if the devil's real, that proves God, proves God exists. And I remember being the audience being like, that does not track. I don't think that that makes any sense. Like, if anything, you've just proven the saddest half of that. Like, I, you've got to have a whole other trial to prove that God exists. Yeah, you can't have a sort of enforced cartesian dualism onto it you know (laughs) as much as we like to sure that's the thing so ed and lorraine warren uh real human beings in the movie they're played by patrick wilson and vera famica as the most loving sweater wearing people who have ever existed uh in real life it seems like they were a uh, con men <laughs> and they had uh, Ed had an underage girlfriend with the same name as their daughter, which that I don't care for. No. What? Uh, how you, wait, did I not tell you about this? Tom? No, oh, no. Good. I didn't know either until uh, she mentioned it uh, previously. So Ed and Lorraine, uh, Ed, like, I don't know how he got this girl, but she like didn't have a family. I oh, think that geez. maybe maybe they met on the on his like lecture circuit or something. But she was brought into their home when she was I think fourteen uh, and stayed with them until Ed's death, I believe, in two thousand six. The cops at one point tried to arrest her for being underage and living with a married couple christ i'm 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 with hallie here i think we should just scrub the based on a true story shit from these movies it's much more interesting not thinking about the real life no lorraine warren yeah you don't want to i'll be honest when you when you because i bethy had mentioned this story right before i saw the film and on twitter and and then i saw in the movie you know um ed's in his hospital uh bed he's recovering at a certain point and there's a teenage girl there. I'm like, oh, it's her. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's their, it's their daughter. It's their, it's their young or college age daughter. Uh, both named um, Judy, so could ugh. be either way. What was Judy the daughter thinking about? Judy the underage third living with her a- parents. That's what I want to know. Alleged, uh, 
Underage third Judy said that daughter Judy tended to live with Lorraine's mom more than with the family. Yeah, that I mean, I hope that seems for the best for a yeah. child to not be. A, first of all, if it's true, she shouldn't be living in that house with Annabelle. <laughs> Second of all, it's not true. Her parents seem like they were insane, so it's good. There's someone else. There yeah. For her. So, and we'll put a bunch of just a bunch of allegedly's on this. This is all allegedly the issue. Like, there's this Hollywood Reporter article that we'll link to if you want to read about the dispute. You know. Judith doesn't necessarily want to talk about it and it's like uh friends of hers are trying to like sue on her behalf but she's not interested. It's not it, nah. it's a lot of mess. We'd sue sue the film or yeah. sue or Yeah, because of, okay. they like a family friend of Judith tried to get the films from being made and Lion or Warner Brothers was like I we don't the based on a true story part is not important to us. This is not <laughs> what makes what makes you think that we Warner Brothers give a shit is kind of like. Well, everyone loves IP, but they don't actually care about no. IP. You know, it's like, listen, you, your parents' lives and the many lies they told are, are simply IP. We will change it as we will because we don't actually care. What yeah, they we're going to make them meet LeBron James in the new Space Jam. Like, we do not <laughs> give a shit. <laughs> I actually, I have this idea where I think that the Warrens should team up with Joe Dirt. <laughs> that's just uh, kind of like a... <laughs> I like that. So so that's the real life story of the Warrens. The real life story of Arnie Johnson. The Warrens did perform exorcisms on um, that child, David, uh, David something. Uh, and there was one where Arnie like volunteered as tribute to get like deviled. And they did use that as as his defense in this manslaughter trial, but the judge didn't even begin to admit it. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I also, yeah, there's no legal groundwork for that. You know, like you can't just be the ones who introduce it. I did think it was odd that everyone saw that happen and then uh, saw the or sort of saw him um, ask the devil to go in his body. And then, at least for a day or two, everyone seemed kind of chill about it. Like, Lorraine, maybe I guess she didn't see it. Everyone was like, this is going to be fine, until, of course, it wasn't. Yeah. It was an odd odd uh, plotting decision. I don't know. I thought the implication, or, or I thought visually what was happening was that she was kind of, like, doing crowd control, and only Ed was kind of watching that happen, and he was like, no, and then had a heart attack, so he, like, went unconscious with that knowledge but yeah i steph had the same my my girlfriend was like why why are they acting like everything's fine why does he not feel some certainty that he's possessed by satan yes yeah would arnie be able to himself be able to be like hey guys remember i did i said that thing and now (laughs) i felt something maybe i should be now i I guess but maybe once the devil's inside you you don't have that ability to point yeah. that out I don't it's know. also possible that lorraine was like vision blind at the moment like she was getting visions during the exorcism so it's possible oh yes yeah that she was in uh the spooky basement and not really present when arnie asked to get possessed yeah that makes sense know. but it is a little weird it's a weird choice there yeah um and so i did want to like <laughs> As I said before, I have seen every Conjuring movie, including The Curse of La Llorona. I did not see that one, but I love Linda Cardellini, which yeah. almost got me over the line. Yeah, it's not it's not as good as the others. I would put it below The Nun, and you hate The Nun. Uh, whereas I am intrigued by The Nun. I get why people would hate it, but I thought it was very funny. 
<laughs> the the nun was really like when like when that movie came out was when my conjuring like obsession started because uh <laughs> in los angeles there were so many posters for the nun everywhere it was like one of those movies that exists more as an ad campaign than as a movie <laughs> like the way other people felt about the snowman billboards is how i felt about the nun billboards so when i would see them i would just chant none none None, none. And it became a thing when Colin and I were driving places. We would just shout, none, none, none. And then when we were in the theaters, like the only two people there screaming, none, none, none. <laughs> so it's possible. It's possible I don't like that movie. I just like shouting none. I think you as an audience member bring so much to that movie, though. And I think it's I, I love that you have that relationship <laughs> with the nun, even if I don't. <laughs> but the thing about the Conjuring movies that we've been we've been talking about is that it is it is almost more a procedural. The stakes are very mm-hmm. low. Everyone believes in God so fucking much. Uh, <laughs> and I genuinely believe that years from now, we'll find out that these movies were like an op by a fringe Catholic like some weird producer did these movies to try and bring the kids back to God. Like that's why it's because every single one is so it's not even just that the character like that Ed and Lorraine are like so devout. Everybody who meets them immediately like falls in line about it. Like the we don't see the dinner that the defense attorney has where she's convinced of devils, oh, yeah. but she's convinced of devils somehow. That was a very funny moment, I thought. You, know. you just cut to her like stricken <laughs> in the courtroom, like staring into the middle distance by whatever. It's like a real Gilligan cut moment. Off. Like there is no way that I am ever going to <laughs> say this in a court. And then she says it in court. I think that there is something, I also think, uh, you know, and I was raised Catholic, to me, it makes it less scary to lean so heavily on the Catholicism, because um, it it sort of, and this is the issue I had with Conjuring 2, is like, then we know what to do. Like, there's already a rubric. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, not a lot of discovery. It's just sort of like, as soon as you see that weird thing that was buried under the house, you're like, ah, it's a witch's curse. You know, like, the Catholicism uh, takes away most of the mystery about like, what is the demon or what is this entity like and that that did really make it feel more like a procedural in a way that it, it, it wasn't scary you know if, it's if you immediately have a book with all the answers or like a book of demon names and here's how you fight them well then what are we doing here you know that it's basically them yeah like you know ashley judd and morgan freeman Kissing trying girls, to catch a serial yeah. killer yeah which is fine, but not, yeah, I feel like that, to me, sucks a lot of the air out of the room, I suppose. Yeah, I liked I liked that there were some new rules in this one, like the fact that they're up against major <laughs> spoiler alarm, a, like, calculated, incredibly gifted Satanist. Like, that was, like, kind mm-hmm. of fun, because they're like, oh, no, we're a little out of our depth here. Like, we have to learn a new set of skills. I I've read some reception to the film which uh a a lot of it seems frustrated that it veers away from what the first two movies are and really focusing on just sort of this like haunted house story with a bunch of scares but i like that this is a like murder procedural and that it feels kind of thomas heresy and and the way lorraine really leans into the will graham shit Mm -hmm. like all of that is goofy but Mm -hmm. it's like it was almost more compelling to me than the earlier two films because it has this sort of plot engine when I'm trying to figure out who has cursed these people, who created these totems. I feel like there is a gradual reveal of information that you don't really have in the other two movies. I don't know. I think if this had been 
just like The Conjuring 2 again, I wouldn't have liked it, but I was pleasantly surprised. I've, I personally felt watching it, I was like, this is a horror movie that I actually could see being better as like one season of a TV yeah. show. Yeah. Because I feel like all the stuff in prison was its own thing. Like all the stuff, it's like we had all these different elements. And then now that we brought her up, once you introduce the, t- once they introduce the two most interesting characters of the movie, which are the Satanist and her father, a priest, I was like, well, I wish the movie had been about yeah. them. Cause I was like, what a jarring, but also like completely, I'm like, yes, if you raise a child around this, they might like it in a way that is not prescribed by your Catholicism. That's really fascinating. And you don't, you didn't get enough of it. I also, well, there was a fundamental issue. Wait, go ahead. I think I have a feeling the way that they set up that guy and then specifically said that he was involved in the takedown of the Disciples of the Ram cult, which is the cult from the first Annabelle movie. That sounds like a sequel hook. I think that there's going to be a prequel about that guy. Later. I would watch that movie. I loved him. Yeah. yeah, that would be really fun. Um, I do feel like there was a, um, an element missing, which I suppose is like, the only issue I had with having the Satanist as a, the villain is why? Why are we doing this? If it is a witch's curse, does it make her powerful? Powerful? Does it make it, is she immortal? Is it just because her dad is a priest and she's like, was this dirty secret and now she has like tapped into like this weird occult revenge against her father? If we had, I wanted her to have a monologue at the end or something, at least to be like, and here is why I did it. To give me some understanding, because like once you realize it's her, it's like okay, but like why would she? Why was she doing all this to the little boy? What was she getting out of this? I, I wasn't clear. I on did that. write down uh, a quote when Vera Farmiga before before we we spoilers uh, before we find out that uh, the guy from Fringe is the father of the Satanist. Vera Famiga asks, like, why would anyone want to do this? And he says, like, the why is irrelevant to the Satanist. The, the, he says, like, to the Satanist, the why is irrelevant. Quote, his sole aim is chaos. His nectar is despair. <laughs> yeah, what so, a line. I think he, yeah. I think she just wants to fuck shit up for the sake of fucking shit up. I guess. I mean, I, but to me, I'm just like, okay, but this is a movie, yeah. baby. <laughs> like, this is not real, okay? Like, this, you've got to give me Save something. Save the cat says you know? we need motivation for everybody's actions including yeah the, the villainous satanist yeah it just two lines would i would have been fine yeah you know? i was i was mostly fine with her subscribing to a certain satanic ideology where she has to give these parallel sacrifices in order to like sate this demon appetite but the thing that i fucking got hung up on and is what keeps me from like really going to bat for this movie is again huge fucking spoiler alarm when you make the central engine of the movie the mystery and the question they keep asking mm-hmm. is what links these two sets of victims and they never answer that question, am I crazy no. or is that just no, not answered? No, they're just like answered? proximity. No. It's just that they, I think they all went to maybe the college or like were near the college. But how easy would it be for her to <laughs> set her sights on those four people for some particular reason? It could be fucking anything. If they just yeah, answer exactly. that question, I would be like... Oh, cool. Like, I like the way this movie is shot. I like these actors. I think the priest and his daughter both are shot in a really interesting kind of spooky way. Like, all of that would be enough for me if they just fucking follow through with the mystery. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Um, I do want to circle back a little bit. We were talking about how the leaning into the Catholicism of it all makes it less scary. 
I think that's the point of these movies. I think one reason that they are so popular is that they have the aesthetics of being scary while having an underlying imposition of order. Like the thing about the Conjuring movies is that it's about reasserting order in a world of chaos. And I think there's a reason why (laughs) this is the horrors. Like every decade has like a horror vibe that kicks off because it is uh, sating some subconscious need of like America because that's who makes movies. So I think, you know, zombie movies kick off during uh, the Bush years because we're all really scared of uh, mindless destruction on either side. I think these movies are a reaction to uh, being scared of of modern times and of like cue shit, to be honest. It's like, I would let like, let's just go back to the 70s when there were answers in old books and everyone (laughs) had gorgeous Mm -hmm. blouses on. And things made sense, goddammit. Pre-internet times where uh, men were men and uh, mm-hmm. Vera Famiga wore organza, you know? I am. Um, I really, I hope they're paying that, uh, their assistant or cameraman, I wasn't sure, with the, the oh, Nike Drew? zip-up track. Drew's coming out. He's like, I found another book that explains it. I'm like, Drew is doing the work. He's doing the, like... I was like, I, I hope that he is being reimbursed for all of this research that he is doing for these yeah. people. Drew should get promoted, I think. Absolutely. From Drew assistant to executive. He's he's there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bethy, I got to tell you, though, this movie, it takes it out of the 70s and into the early 80s. But it's the part of the 80s mm. that was still the 70s, like Wet Hot American Summer, sure, Freaks yeah. and Geeks era. And like, we're not in Stranger Things era yet. Yeah, I did like Lorraine's high-waisted trouser boot <laughs> combo, which felt like, okay, she's like, you know, it's a little different for her. Amen. <laughs> but I do think, I think that these movies work because they aren't scary. That they they seem like they're fin okay. to be scary, I see that. but uh, you actually are not very tested. Like, I don't think... I don't think like a a mass market audience is necessarily looking to get their pants scared off. I think they're looking to feel brave despite things. And this is actually like a very low bar to clear these Conjuring movies. That makes sense. I I also feel like because I did not look up the actual crime, I assumed, okay, if if they're using a defense that is something like this, I was like, well, maybe the person who committed the murder, maybe he was dealing with mental illness, you know? And so I was trying to interpret much of the beginning as like, okay, this is like, you know, the the Catholic Church's approach to mental illness, which is to ascribe to demons. So I'm like watching it. I'm like, maybe this is what we're trying to say. Obviously, they're not. They're saying demons are real. And that guy did not kill. It's like, if, if what you said about the crime, uh, you know, is true, then it's like, the murder is terrible, but it's, it is manslaughter, you know, like it, it was in the middle of this drunken fight. So it's just so strange, or it's like that's the one that we're going to be try to roll out this defense. I don't know. Maybe I don't know why that part is sticking with me so much. It's like okay, but this doesn't even seem like you don't have to have the devil to explain why this happened. You know, it's really weird the the way that the series has kind of hobbled itself by having to always be based on true things that the Warrens actually investigated, like. That that the like Annabelle can kind of go off and do whatever La Yorona can do whatever <laughs> when they're they're gonna do the Crooked Man, which is like a sequel to Conjuring Two. Okay, they can be a bit more wacky, but when mm-hmm. you know Patrick and Vera are in the frame, it's always based on real cases, and that's like part of it. So I think a lot of shoe leather is spent 
Like, you know, like even even the two um, girls who disappeared is like kind mm-hmm. of based on other disappearances in the area around the same time. So like, okay. so there's like, they're, they're always trying to base stuff on real events, which I isn't, I agree, isn't particularly useful now that this is a completely silly make em up about uh, spooky <laughs> devils and people who like people who are so so fictionalized from their real person that they might as well be original characters and there is something very grim at the end or i i felt it was grim we're sort of like oh you know uh he was found guilty of manslaughter he went to jail for five years and now he and his girlfriend have been married ever since and it's like well i guess things worked out after he stabbed that guy to death i was really glad he and his girlfriend got to stay together after he murdered a man in front of her you yeah. know like there's no it's no seeming reflection on that, but I guess you can't if you are asserting this really was some sort of demon or, or satanic curse. Yeah. It gets pretty hairy. I, you know, look, I don't mind because they're much cuter in the movie than they are in the photos we see at oh, the end. Yeah. So that's fine. They're pretty people. <laughs> My, I think. I, I agree. I think the true story thing hobbles these movies up and down, but I do think there is a rich lineage in horror cinema of saying, this is based on this thing, and it just barely draws from the real story. I think mm-hmm. things like Texas Chainsaw, they're always like, this is based on a true story, and it's like, no, it's not, I mean, not really. And then, like, The Strangers is, like, the interpretation of the Manson murders, but it's very much its own thing, like, I don't know, they just love to say dumb shit. Yeah, it's like, I'd rather it be less, yeah, like you said, Bethy, less related to the real story. Unnecessary. I don't care. Yeah, me you know? Yeah, it's like, there are, like, two main ways to market a horror movie, and it's either based on a true story, or this is so scary, we have to give you health insurance to see it. <laughs> like, those are your options. Yeah. They're like, you know, people are barfing their guts out <laughs> watching this thing. I'm telling you what, it's so scary. You, <laughs> you'd be crazy to even come here. <laughs> And I think that one fell out of favor after, I don't know, 28 weeks later. And so now we're in a based on cycle. And we'll go back to a... Yeah, that makes sense. This is dangerous. Don't even come here next. I'm really bummed I missed the uh, glut of films that offered me health insurance subsidies. I could use (laughs) use one of those right now. I remember reading like The Exorcist, you know, everyone's saying, oh, everyone's passing out and throwing up. And then reading something where they're like, well, it wasn't actually the scary parts. It's the part where she's uh, receiving 70s era medical (laughs) treatment and they have to thread that catheter into her jugular. And I'll tell you, I almost passed out watching that. That had nothing to do with ghosts of any kind. (laughs) Yeah. I can't. What movie was it where they offered life insurance at the drive through? I think it was That's funny. thirteen. It was either thirteen ghosts or the house on haunted hill. It was one of those William Castle joints from the lake that was early sixties, but still on black and white. That's that's pretty funny. Wasn't it? It was not a good <laughs> policy. I think you had to die in the theater in order to collect. But <laughs> I think it was technically legal. Yeah, if you're in the parking lot, no, no dice. Take Tight. I want to talk about the Warrens single-handedly inventing the satanic panic. By sending oh pictures of the altar, like the cool ram statue, to every police station in the country. <laughs> Jesus. It's like, it's, a, it's again one of those things where it's like real life is getting in the way of this funny movie. And it's like, this is going to create a decade of false memories and accusations. It's honestly shocking that the Warrens weren't as involved in the satanic panic as you would think. 
They were probably like, oh my god, they're stealing our ideas. <laughs> right, they're yeah. stealing our bit. We can't make money off they're this. They're like, sorry guys. People are giving it away for <laughs> we're free. We're embroiled in lawsuits having to do with Ed's relationship with minors. We- <laughs> <laughs> I know that Lorraine like went on talk shows during during the Satanic Panic and like was able to get like a side income off of that, but insane. I, you know, I, I guess that was another part of the film that I, again, not that you can't do a horror movie in a prison, obviously you can, but there was a certain element of being like, okay, so he's here because he, the devil made him do it, but everyone else deserves to be here, so we don't have to address the fact that all these other people are in prison in any way. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the one innocent man in this prison. He doesn't he's deserve this. He's the only one innocent you know? man. He's the only per, he's the only prisoner in this entire prison. There's like a guard, and a priest, and some people shackled to beds sometimes, and that's it at this prison. <laughs> and they let his girlfriend come in seemingly at all hours of the day and night, <laughs> ungar- accompanied by a guard. They're just letting her wander around. This is around. a poorly run prison. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it. I don't think this is a very good prison. I, I have a question. Did, yeah. did they wrap production before... COVID? I know they were shooting before everything shut down, but did they have to finish? Because a lot of that prison stuff, because there are so few people around, I was like, I wonder if this is not an aesthetic choice, but if they just sort of leaned into the sort of isolation and that made it easier for them to film? I don't know. That could very well be. I think if if that's the case, they they made hay out of it. I think that the parts in the prison where it Mm -hmm. is like weirdly isolated is cool because it does make you it it makes arnie seem even more like alone in his uh possession yeah because there's like nobody else in frame to even like check in with emotionally while this stuff is happening yeah i totally agree and i wanted to also make sure we discuss uh as we we started to discuss it but i want to go back to uh ed's uh pills and as uh, like infirmity, it was something that um, Colin and I decided to call like a Chekhov's gun safe because they were like they they like zoomed in on those pills when he like wee yeah. when he goes to confront the Satanists they they like really they like actually push in to show that he forgot his pills and at the end he starts to feel bad and he's like I forgot my pills I'm so stupid and Vera for me is like I know you are and she has one pill in her locket. That like it has a cross on it because of course it does, and I think it has like a picture of her, a picture of him, and a picture of the daughter, and like a pill, and it's like the dumbest shit I've ever seen. That I also started to cry <laughs> watching. <laughs> oh, I bl- I teared up twice during this movie. Um, I believe I cried during the in the Heights trailer too. So I, I that's not really saying that much, but I it got me at the end. I was like, well, she <laughs> she really loves him. Even though I agree it was dumb as hell. And also, when he first gets the pills, he says to the paramedic, oh, I have these. I just didn't bring them. So it's like, so you already knew. This wasn't even new pills. You were supposed to already have these. What are you? So maybe it's like, maybe he is trying to go to heaven. Maybe he's like, I'm done. If this happens, it happens. I'm not going to bring my pills. Yeah, I'm I'm really, really charmed by all of that goofy stuff between them. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, maybe he's like... um, Christians who really don't want to be vaccinated because they trust that if they need to be protected, God will do that. Yeah, they're not Christian scientists, at least. So they do believe that medicine exists. <laughs> uh, whether or not they're willing to put all, they're not going to put all of their faith in it. All of their faith, obviously, is going to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And, and, and ghosts. Mary and ghosts. Right, yeah. 
<laughs> and Vera Farmiga's uh, magical powers <laughs> that God gave her. And God led them together. How do we feel about the flashback to the teen Catholics in love? <laughs> Honestly, loved it. <laughs> like so, but because it was so is so schmaltzy and ridiculous. I'm like, all right, okay. I I loved it, but part of why I loved it is because she is so eager to tell the story of how they met, and the entire content of the story is that they met at a movie theater. And then they went to kiss in a gazebo. And it's like, Hell wait, yeah. did she, so it's it's not like one of you tripped and the other one was like, are you okay? Or I don't know, there was a fucking tornado outside and he ushered you into like a storm cellar. Like you just met at a movie theater and went to a gazebo. Like there's no story there. Well, it rained and they stayed under the gazebo until it stopped raining. Oh, you're right. Kissing. Yeah. And then he built her a gazebo at their <laughs> house so they could kiss under it. And I guess their <laughs> underage third can join them or watch from a distance. I don't know. <sighs> She's buried under the gazebo. Oh, jeez. Yeah. She, uh, well, she exists only in the real world where this whole story is tragic <laughs> and these are terrible people. Not in my beautiful right, dollhouse of the Conjureverse where they are uh, <laughs> spotless. Yeah, not mm-hmm. not in the... the same. This is almost like we started this episode talking about how uh, fairy tales, like they always try and sand the edges off, but they're weirdly brutal. This is, mm-hmm. this is like the, um, <laughs> you know... The real story is like the Grimm's fairy tale version, and then the Conjuring movies are like the Disneyfied version of yeah. what actually happened. I had actually never heard up heard the uh, fucked up alternate version of the Three Billy Goats Gruff story, so I I am haunted retroactively by that. This is a whole day of revelations for you, Thomas. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> There's a lot more big bad wolf stories than I recall from a high from a high school. <laughs> when I learned them in high school, I only remember the three little pigs. Apparently, this wolf was out here learning all sorts of lessons, <laughs> teaching all sorts of animals to listen to their moms. Let's talk a little bit about that end scene because we already talked about how it resolves with the OU and building a gazebo and everything's fine. But before that, <laughs> Lorraine, so they 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 have been given a Satanist's Bible somehow. And they need to translate it from Aramaic, I think. And so Lorraine is going to take it to this priest who I am 85% sure is going to get a prequel film in like two years uh, where he'll be played by... Does Patrick Wilson have a brother? <laughs> I want the priest to be in it. I think he... I want that actor. He He's better than anyone in oh, this universe. he crushes. Uh, John... Yeah, he was my favorite. Yeah. John Noble, he was just reprising his character from Fringe, and I I fucking loved that for me as a huge Fringe head. <laughs> um, so Vera Fumi goes goes to get it translated by John Noble, and then Drew, the intern who should be getting paid more, and Ed figure out that the Satanist lair is almost certainly under the priest's house because it's by the river and the train tracks that Vera Famiga saw in her vision. I loved that scene. I love how how smart Drew is and how map literate <laughs> and he knows sort of which are the commuter trains and which are freighters and when they run. I was like, this is this is a classic <laughs> deduction scene. Yeah, Th- that exact same scene happens in an episode of Bones. I will have you know. <laughs> Incredible. Where they are are figuring out which trains to narrow it down from and then other stuff because there's an underground lair that they have to find and they figure mm-hmm. out that it's train tracks. But anyway, 
so Ed realizes that Vera Farmiga, I don't know why I'm calling her Vera Farmiga and him Ed. <laughs> anyway, that Vera Farmiga is walking into danger. So he has Drew call the cops and just say anything to get them there. And that he's going to drive by and save her. He is the one who has been put on a curse to murder her. So maybe, maybe I would have sent Drew. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than the per- the one person who has a bad curse put on on himself that he is going to be mur- murdering her soon. But it's okay because <laughs> because Ed and Lorraine's love is more powerful than the devil. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is not our weakness. Our love is not our weakness. Oh, that's when I teared up. That was, just, that was the first it's, time it's I teared sweet. up. I was like, oh, okay. it's our strength. I mean, it didn't stop the devil from having him almost hit her in the head with a sledgehammer, though. I mean, it's like, thank God your love was stronger, because there's about five minutes there where I was like, you're about to be murdered by your husband. But luckily, uh, love came through in the end. I did like um, when they go to the priest's um, the version of their own museum of yeah. odds oddities and haunted things and Lorraine says you should burn these things I was like bitch you should burn Annabelle like what are you talking about <laughs> he has the exact same setup you have what do you mean you should burn all this why is it cool when you I guess they're it. making money yeah, off of it exactly yeah um I was gonna say something about uh love being stronger than the devil <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny and it's so funny because it's such a lie like the the part like I'm not saying that love isn't stronger than the devil. I'm just saying specifically the Warren's love is not stronger than the devil. Right. But also it's like, well, I love didn't stop the devil. Like the devil's already been killing people. He possesses people like, and you got to think they have love in their lives. There's nothing to imply that their love, but I guess their love is piss poor compared to Ed and Lorraine. Yeah. Somehow this is just the greatest love that's ever been. And and especially because she is magic, too. So there's this additional it's not just that they love each other. It's that she is also mm-hmm. some sort of uh, superhero with psychic vision. Yeah, I will say this. Like I once she started having visions, I was like, oh, no, this is going to they're going to order of the Phoenix this and the connection is going to be two ways. And then and mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I was like, I I read HP5. I know where this is going. But the way that Lorraine used her second sight to find a weapon when she couldn't use her own eyes, when she like looked through the the with the Satanist's eyes to like see more of her surroundings, I thought that was the coolest shit I'd ever seen. I thought that was cool as hell. I yeah, I liked I liked that stuff. I mean, the 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 reference you're making to Harry Potter Five, it's like yeah, there are a lot of <laughs> very familiar elements in these movies. But to me, the thing that just gets me there is the commitment of Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga <laughs> and how much they do seem to like coming back to do these. I'm sure there's lots of money involved. Yeah. This is a very lucrative franchise, but they're like kind of funny. Did either of you read that Uproxx <laughs> interview they did with Mike Ryan? Yes. It's so it's so fucking funny. Vera Farmiga is like, I think, goofing him. She keeps asking (laughs) the interviewer, Mike Ryan, if he believes in spiritual warfare. And he keeps dodging the question and she keeps pressing. And I think she's having fun with it, but it reads incredibly on the page. I'll look that up. My favorite character, aside from the priest, is the giant 
reanimated corpse that shows yes. up. Yes. Um, first in the uh, morgue, and then later comes mm-hmm. back. And I was like, oh, I'm glad we get him a second time. He was fabulous. Yeah, He's I like juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I actually... I He should get a spin-off. Yeah, I, I do want to say, I think Michael Chavez, who directed this, is not getting enough credit i I, i'm I'm reading stuff that's Mm -hmm. like oh he's not as good as james wan they didn't successfully hand over the reins and i'm like no i actually think he's good and like i didn't see la llorona but the way he stages that scene where he has to run at lorraine to get her out of this vision she's having while this reanimated corpse is like charging her is almost more of an action set piece than a horror set piece but it's very cool Mm -hmm. i don't know i i mike deserves better yeah, I, I thought the direction yeah. was good. Yeah, I thought, if anything, the issue with what I had was the entire concept of the warrants, <laughs> yeah. but I thought it was very well directed. Uh, yeah, I agree. The way that they used light was really interesting that, that it it made, again, like in the same way that we're talking about with the prison, uh, everybody felt much more isolated than is usual in a Conjuring movie. Um, and the fact that it, it helped underscore that part of what this demon does, I guess, is like fuck with people's perceptions. So the way that only certain things were spotlit in in a lot of scenes where somebody was like tripping balls because of a demon uh, helped Mm -hmm. heighten that sense of isolation that you can't trust your own senses. And I thought that was really cool. Totally. I also liked the scene where Vera Vera Famiga briefly does like the um, Harpo marks like she she's like running past herself. Oh, yeah, that was fun. And they're like mirrored. Oh, yeah. But we were talking a little bit more about how there's like parts of this that are seem kind of cribbed from other familiar things. And Thomas, you were saying that uh, Lorraine has gone full Will Graham. Yes. Like specifically mm-hmm. how totally. in like the Hannibal TV show, how like Mind Palace. Very yeah. Hugh Dancy, Will Graham. Yep. Uh, I love that shit. I, that's one of my favorite <laughs> shows. Manhunter is one of my favorite movies. I just I like that kind of, like, really macabre Mm -hmm. detective story. And this is not, like, a great version of that, but it's a very competent version of that. Mm -hmm. It is interesting seeing... The thing about, like, the Will Graham style is that he's always putting himself in the mind of the killer. And I think there is something added to it that it's this middle-aged mom doing it. Yeah. Is neat and weird. I think it's, it's done even better in Conjuring 2 in the like prequel scene of that where they're she's like putting herself in maybe amity i can't remember which of the various so like uh she that's my favorite part of that she's like she's like watching herself blast away these people and her face is so blank and dispassionate Mm -hmm. while she is like doing these horrific murders (laughs) is really cool what are we missing we've talked about judith we've talked about love we didn't talk about how I don't believe Patrick Wilson's uh, I'm sick makeup for even one second. Like they, they put some like bluer tint foundation on him to make to sell that his heart isn't working well. And it's like, no, I, I didn't clock that. I don't believe that. I didn't either. He is a man with perfect mm-hmm. skin. So I feel like I just would have been like, ah, OK, he just looks CGI because that's that's what he looks like. I have a I have a question about the title that I would like to pose to the two of you. Is it a trend right now for a movie to have a title like The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It rather than The Conjuring 3? Or do you think it was because it's a different filmmaker 
and the the unified one and two or the James Wan thing, mm-hmm. and this is almost like a conjuring story. I don't know. That's a good question. I, think, uh, I everything has colons in it now. Right. Like, does does a piece of art count if there's not a colon in it? Like, I was writing up something about Avengers Campus for Vulture at Disneyland, and I I wrote it as Avengers colon Campus. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's <laughs> not right. I just think that everything at Disneyland needs a colon now, like Guardians of the Galaxy colon Mission dash Breakout exclamation point. <laughs> I definitely do think the conjuring, the devil made me do it is more intriguing and evocative than the conjuring three. Yeah. I, you know, as someone who may or may not have seen this in theaters, I saw it in theater. Had I not been appearing on your podcast, I'll tell you the devil made me do it. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> the devil's making people do stuff. Yeah. I thought the ad materials for this was good. Were good. I was compelled. I didn't know there was another conjuring movie coming. And so I saw this before, like, I don't know. I was excited to be seeing movies again, so I saw Mortal Kombat, which was a yeah. nightmare for me. But this trailer, <laughs> I thought, was good, and I was like, "Ooh, the devil made me do it." <laughs> How do I feel about part of the ad campaign? Was like this is this is the Warrens' most dangerous or disturbing investigation yet, or like they're making these new crazy discoveries? Do we feel like that w- that actually happened, or is that also? false advertising like the idea that there was going to be any courtroom mishigas <laughs> yeah i feel like this you know it could have been but it wasn't you know like i think it's like if this had been about the courtroom drama of it or about the idea of a devil making him kill someone i think that would be disturbing but this movie wasn't about that so i do think yeah there was definitely some trickeroo when it come when it came to that uh pitch i feel like you know our man ed being in 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 bad shape, being really frail, I think that kind of gets me there. I think I don't know that they did quite enough with Lorraine. So in two, one of the big conflicts is that Lorraine is getting too close to shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's getting. They don't have as many of the Will Graham sequences, but the idea is that she's getting too close to these spirits. She's risking, you know, her own life, I guess, in a way that she wasn't earlier on in their investigations i don't think they did enough with that in this one it seemed like that would be the natural progression and that's what would make me really fear for her safety but i don't know i i I say yes and no yeah which is a Mm -hmm. non-answer i i thought the way that the the satanist like snuck satan shit into their home was effective the idea that that was cool their house being violated felt bad but their house had been violated for an entire movie the last, like, two movies ago. With but that's an Annabelle home. movie, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wait, should I see that one? I hear that's, like, one of the better ones. And after The Nun, I was turned off, but it sounds fun. Yeah, it's... The stakes are higher because the Warrens aren't home, and it's just their kid and their kid's mm-hmm. babysitter trying to fight off Annabelle. Uh, and there's a bunch of different, like, other... It's like it's it's kind of the Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo, is that movie? Because <laughs> like they uh, unwittingly unleash some horrors, and then the different horrors menace different people different ways. So you get a bunch of like a bunch of their cursed artifacts like pop off, and so that's interesting. It's fun. That's to watch. a fun. That's yeah. a fun premise. It's like almost some Jumanji shit mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> OG Jumanji, not the the Video fun new one. ones. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think it. I think in the new Scoob, like the animated Scooby movie, I believe they end up opening the gates of hell 
or the underworld, and yes, and releasing Cerberus, I believe. So they're going, I mean, the stakes in the new Scooby-Doo movie are pretty high. Yeah, it it does at first in that Scoob movie. I guess the plan is to merge the worlds of the living and the dead, and like ghosts will reign over all of Earth, which would suck for us. And that's a lot to put on a dog, (laughs) you know, to try to figure out how to solve. Dogs should be napping or uh, running. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so is this movie certified fresh or not, gang? What do we think? I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate Conjuring movies. That's the thing that I'm, I wanted to do this podcast partially to see if I can figure out if and why I like them or if I'm just fascinated with them. I'm not sure whether I like them or not. I'm just, I just have fun watching them. We'll do it again. We'll have other Conjuring episodes and maybe eventually we'll get there. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would say if you like the Conjuring movies, definitely see this one. I don't know. I mean, you guys watched it on streaming, right? I did, yeah. I wish I had seen it in a theater. Um, I would say, listen, it's on streaming. I say, for streaming, big thumbs up, give it a watch. <laughs> I, I also give it, I, I give it one and a half very enthusiastic thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, I think I give it one thumb up and then one thumb, like, to the side, going like, eh. I think for the contemporary crop of studio horror movies, I think it's a pretty well-made one. Yeah, I think the movies yeah. are back. I think we can all agree. <laughs> oh, there you the go. Yeah, we can all agree. <laughs> Hallie, where can people find you online? Um, please, you can find me um, on Twitter and Instagram at Hallie Kiefer. And of course, you can listen to Ruined, my podcast with Allison Livey, wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm excited to check that out. I haven't listened to your pod before, but it's such a great idea. Thank you. Yeah, I um, we've definitely had some classes. We already did Hereditary, and half the fun is listening to Allison find out about <laughs> things that you might have already watched and see what a normal person's reaction would be to seeing so hearing about something like that. <laughs> yeah, I love that, Bethy. What about you? Are you are you online? Yeah, I'm at <laughs> Bethy Squires on Instagram and at Bethy B S Q U on Twitter. Thomas, you have a Twitter. I do have a Twitter, yeah. You can find me at uh, handsome underscore pal. And then we also have show pages. Yeah, if you want to see my nun cosplay. <laughs> you do. Be... You absolutely, do want to see. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that'll be at um, Instagram on moviebar underscore pod or on Twitter at moviebarpod, all one word. And, you know, as always, we have a normal sign off. Which is uh, the first line, this time I think our sign-off is the first line that John Noble's priest says, which is, I have chicken shit on my hands. <laughs> that was a great, I, that, I laughed out loud. <laughs> it was great. He's the only person who swears, and that's how you know that he's probably <laughs> evil. Good night. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Go to church. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. Mm-hmm.